I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 will be in verses 3 and 4 this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. We're reflecting together on this Christmas season, on the incarnation of the Son, and in some ways looking at His humanity. And last week we looked at the promise of this Messiah that would Uh, that was promised to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. We're going to look at Christ's connection to humanity through his incarnation. Next Sunday, Christmas Sunday, we're going to look at Christ through his incarnation, his reign over humanity from an interesting passage of Scripture in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. So I'll encourage you to join us next Sunday as we reflect together on this Christmas season on the incarnation of on the incarnation of Christ. This week in Romans chapter 8, a text that might be a little bit familiar with you as we were there just a little over a year ago reflecting on the book of Romans together. And here in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4, Paul is ultimately concluding his argument that he began all the way back in Romans chapter 7. If you remember our time together from the book of Romans, Paul is ultimately arguing in the book of Romans chapter 7 of sin's power. Sin is a powerful force that left to ourselves apart from Christ will dominate our lives. But even as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we still struggle with this power of sin. And Paul, here in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, is concluding the argument that he, has be, that, he be, that he started in Romans chapter 7 concerning the law and sin. And here to ultimately remind us that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, while we will stri- still struggle with the flesh... While we will still sin, praise God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Paul is going to remind us from this text, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because God, through Christ, by His Spirit, has made a legal declaration against my life and your life. For those who have trusted in Christ, at that moment of conversion, it is as though God has brought us into his courtroom. We've stood before the almighty King of kings and judge of the entire universe, and he has made a legal declaration against our lives because of faith. You are not guilty. And this is what Paul is ultimately arguing here in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. I want to focus primarily on verses 3 and 4 this morning and look at the implications of Christ's incarnation for us and look together at this theme. Through Christ's incarnation, through Jesus's incarnation, Jesus takes on human flesh, conquers sin, and enables us to walk obediently with Him. What you and I experience today as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's overarching argument here in verses 1 through 4. That truth is fleshed out in this idea of Jesus' incarnation. Before we get into the meat of chapter of verse 3, I want you to look with me at the very beginning of verse 3. Notice what Paul says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Jesus has done what the law could not do. What could the law not do? The law could not change our position before God. It's not a problem with the law, however. It's not a problem with the Word of God. It's not as though the Word of God or the law itself is is weak and, and unable. Paul makes the argument that the problem is ultimately with human flesh. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. See, friends, because of sin, my natural proclivity is not to walk in obedience to the law of God. The the natural response of Lewis's heart is to live in rebellion against God. Not because there's a problem with the law, but because there is a problem with Lewis. But you know what, friends? Where the law has failed, Christ has succeeded. Where the law is weak and unable, Christ is victorious and he is able. You might remember Paul grounding his entire argument in the book of Romans with this eternal truth. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The law cannot bring us into right relationship with Christ. But friends, blessed be the Lord. He has given to us Jesus. And through the life of Christ... What you and I cannot accomplish through the law is accomplished through Christ's life. Life, as Jesus would say, and that more abundantly. And then Paul gets to the point of the text for which I would like for us to give attention to this morning. Here in verse 3, Paul reminds us that Jesus assumes human flesh, Jesus assumes human flesh connecting him to us and conquering sin. Jesus is connected to you and me today through his incarnation. As we think about the person of God, as we think about the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we think of it, we think of it in theological in two theological terms. We speak of the transcendence of God and the imminence of God. This idea that God is completely, totally transcendent means that he is completely, totally holy other than we are. He is completely separate from who we are. And that is indeed true. He is holy 
other than you and me, his transcendence. But God is not only transcendent, he is imminent. He is connected to his people intimately. And how is God connected to his people imminently? He's connected to you and me through the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. And as we reflect together on this Christmas season, might we be reminded today that our connection to Christ begins with his incarnation. Look what Paul argues here in chapter 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How? By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, or as some of your, some of your Bibles translates, by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh for what purpose? Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Look what Paul says. Jesus actually took on human flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. As we think about this drama of redemption, as we think about this story of redemption, as we think about what God has accomplished in sending his son as a babe in a manger and then rising to be this king of, of Israel, who would ultimately sacrifice his life on our behalf, Paul reminds us from this text of Scripture that God himself is the primary player in this story of redemption. What has been accomplished through the sending of Jesus Christ is at the command of the Father himself. God, the Father, is ruling and reigning and directing in relationship with the Son and the Spirit His intended desire for not only you and me, but also for the Godhead. Who has sent Jesus to you and me, friends? Notice what the text says. God has sent His own Son. And what does God do in the sending of his own son? He connects Jesus to you and to me. As we think about this idea of Jesus himself actually taking on human flesh by sending his own son, notice what the text of scripture says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. In total identity with sinful flesh. We're reminded of two errors from which we need to stray. One error was an era, an era in which uh, potentially the Apostle Paul himself was even writing, perhaps in a couple of his, of his letters. Docetism taught that, that Jesus was simply just like human flesh. He wasn't actually human flesh. 
He didn't actually take upon human flesh. There was this separation. He just simply appeared to have human flesh. We want to avoid that error. For I'm going to show us in just a few moments from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, but I also think primarily from here in Romans, that it was a necessity that Jesus actually take on human flesh. But not only must we avoid this error, we also must avoid the error that Jesus, in taking on human flesh, also sinned. Did Jesus sin in human flesh? Or maybe we could pose the question in this way. Could Jesus have sinned in human flesh? We think about this in terms of theological terms, the impeccability of Christ. We should not believe that because the text of Scripture teaches that Jesus totally identified with humanity, that it means either Jesus could have sinned or that Jesus did sin. Friends, it is impossible for God to sin. If Jesus could have sinned, or if Jesus did sin, he would have ceased being part of the divine trinity. God himself cannot sin. So what is the necessity? Why must this truth run parallel with Jesus' identity as divine. It is true as we celebrate Christ this Christmas that we are reflecting on these twin natures of Christ that do not contradict one another. Jesus was simultaneously completely, totally connected, identified with humanity, you and me. And yet... At the same time, he was completely, totally God. These two themes, these two rivers, these two natures that flow in the life of Christ must be held together. For a denial of either is a denial of the ability of Christ to save. In fact, the writer of Hebrews would go on to make this point exactly in Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to look with me in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. The writer of Hebrews here in chapter 2, verse 14, down through verse 18, is going to make a very similar argument to that which Paul is making here in Romans chapter 8, verses 3, verse 3 and 4. Jesus actually took on human flesh. For what purpose? Let's begin reading in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely... It is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. 
In what way did Jesus share in our humanity? How does the writer of Hebrews say Jesus shared in our humanity? In some aspects, but not in others. No, look, notice what the text of Scripture says. He was made like his brothers in absolutely every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, friends, if Jesus does not become God incarnate, if Jesus does not become this God who takes on completely, totally human flesh, there is no sacrifice that finally, totally appeases the anger and the wrath of God. We are left in our own sin, separated from God. How does Jesus make atonement for my sin and your sin? One of the aspects, one of the ways in which Jesus makes this atonement is by his complete, total connection to humanity, by his becoming totally identified with you and with me. For see, friends, it's in his humanity that Jesus is able to, as the writer of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 would say, Paul, become sin. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Verse 20 and 21, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin. For what purpose? That we might become the righteousness of God. See, friends, you and I don't gather in this place this morning and celebrate the incarnation of Christ, Jesus, God becoming man if Jesus was not fully, totally connected to humanity. Back to Romans chapter 8, verse 3. In what way was Jesus like humanity? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus was, is, completely, totally identified with you and me through his incarnation. What does that mean in terms of Jesus' humanity? It means Jesus understood the power of sin without himself sinning. It means that Jesus understood the effect of the power sin has over life. For example, Jesus aged, did he not? He was born as a babe in a manger. He grew in stature and wisdom, the text of Scripture says. But like many of us in here today, we understand the aging process. There are things that we cannot do at 40 and 50 that we could do at 10, right? Why? the effects of sin. Jesus, in that way, understood the power 
that sin has. The text of scripture tells us that Jesus grew tired, for example. Jesus, in his humanity, experienced hunger. But friends, it was in that humanity that Jesus ultimately experienced the effect of the power of sin. Why? Because your sin and my sin, your rebellion against a holy, righteous, good God, your lie and my lie, your unfaithfulness and my unfaithfulness was completely, totally placed on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He became sin. He felt the effects of your sin and my sin in his body. For what purpose? That he might conquer sin. Look what the text of Scripture says. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offered, he condemned sin in the flesh. This phrase that is translated in my Bible and your Bible, if you're reading from the ESV this morning, and for sin, in the Greek New Testament is peri harmartias, according to sin. And in the Septuagint, this phrase occurs 54 times, and 44 of those occurrences are directly related to this idea of a sin offering. We already know from having preached through the book of Romans that much of what Paul is doing and reflecting in the book of Romans is dependent on his understanding of the Old Testament. And so perhaps here Paul is using that same phrase that he would have been familiar with to express the eternal truth that Jesus, through his incarnation, is connected to humanity and he conquers death through his connection to humanity. You see how Jesus has conquered death for you and for me? He condemned sin in the flesh. He conquered death in the flesh. He was victorious over death in the flesh. Jesus has secured your salvation and my salvation by coming in the flesh. He's done this as being a sin offering. Someone had to pay a penalty for sin. As we reflect back on the Old Testament, the nation of Israel would gather once a year, and on that high holy day of Yom Kippur, the priest, as a symbol of sin being atoned, would place his hands on one goat and send that goat outside of the camp. And that, that goat would be the scapegoat. That goat would be the one that all the sins were placed on. And he would be sent outside the camp. And there would be another that would be slaughtered. And what Paul is arguing for you and me here in this text of Scripture is it's through Jesus' incarnation that he accomplishes that task once and for all for humanity. 
Jesus does what the law itself could not do. He prevails mightily over sin. That is why Paul can begin this conversation in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, with these words, there is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because Jesus has become, and he was, And he is my and your and the world's substitutionary atonement. Jesus paid the penalty of sin so that you and I might walk in right relationship with him. And this is exactly what Paul says now here in verse 4. Jesus assumes human flesh. He conquers death. And now look at verse 4. Jesus enables us to walk obediently. Verse 4, in order, this is the purpose for Jesus taking on human flesh. This is the purpose for Jesus dying on the cross that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Now notice the text of Scripture. How might the righteous requirement of the law be filled? In us, not by us. That little preposition has incredible Meaning, friend, Jesus has died on the cross to accomplish on our behalf what we could not accomplish ourselves. Friends, in other words, Paul is saying this, if it were not for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, not one of us could ever have a right relationship with God. Every single one of us in this auditorium this morning would be dead in our trespasses and in our sins. This is not something that can be accomplished by me. I cannot accomplish my own salvation. I cannot atone for my own sin. Only Jesus Christ could make such an atonement to place me in a right relationship with God in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, he enabled us to fulfill the law. Apart from Christ, we can fulfill the law. Through Christ, we can fulfill the law. For what purpose? That we might walk obediently. See, friends, salvation is not only a story of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. He has indeed justified us. He has indeed sanctified us. But notice what Paul also says about salvation. There is in my life and in your life this sanctifying process that we walk in Every single day, obedience. 
And the goal of sanctification, the goal of Christ's redemption, the goal of God sending his son as a babe in a manger is that you and I might increase in sanctification, that we might increase in Christ-likeness, that we might become more like Jesus Christ every day of our lives in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, friends, Paul is saying if you don't have the Spirit, you can't keep the law. In other words, if you don't have the Spirit, you can't walk obediently with Christ. And you can't have the Spirit if Jesus doesn't die on the cross for us. And we can't have Jesus dying on the cross for us if God has not sent His Son as a babe in a manger. Jesus, in and through His incarnation, is connected to our humanity He conquers sin. And the effect of that conquering of sin is that you and I today, at this moment, can indeed walk obediently to Christ. See, friends, Christ, God, the Spirit of God, is not interested in my righteousness or your righteousness. Because our righteousness, apart from Christ, is as filthy rags. What you and I so desperately need this morning is the merit of another. What we so desperately need this morning is the work of of another. And friends, as we celebrate Christmas this year, the greatest implication of this Christmas narrative is that God has given us through the incarnation the merits of another. And the question for you and me this morning is, have those merits been applied to our life? Have the merits of Jesus, has the righteousness of Christ, as Paul would argue in Romans, been imputed, been given, been transferred to your life today? The true intended meaning and purpose for this incarnation is that Jesus would atone for our sins thereby making it possible for you and me to walk obediently with Christ. Are you walking obediently today, friend? Believer, if you're here today and you've trusted in Christ and Christ's righteousness has been imputed to your life, you've stood before the courtroom of God and He's declared you innocent. What effect is that declaration having in your life in the present? 
Are you walking rightly with God today? Are you serving? Are you sharing? Are you loving others? As we think about Christmas and this idea of this incredible gift that God has has given to us as believers, one of the implications of walking rightly with God is that God through Christ has too sown in our hearts this idea of generosity. Are you one who walks rightly with God through the expression of generosity? See, friends, this Christmas story isn't only a story for those who do not believe. It's also a story for those of us who do believe. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for the glorious truth that you have given to us through the incarnation of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the truth that is revealed to us through this text of Scripture. That you, God, and you alone have sent forth your Son in the likeness of human flesh. You, God, through Christ, have become just like us. And in doing so, God, you have made propitiation. You have atoned for our sins. So God, we thank you for taking on human flesh. For becoming like one of us. Knowing, God, that you, Jesus, left all the pleasures of heaven to become God incarnate in a world didn't know you. So that the world who didn't know you might know you. And so God, we ask this morning that by your spirit, you would increase our faith and our hope and our trust in you. That you would enable us to walk obediently, we pray. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and reflect on the preaching of God's word? Have you trusted in Christ today, friend? Have you experienced this Jesus of the text of Scripture? Have you been connected to Christ? The story of Christmas, the story of this text is a plea for you and me to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ. For the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How about you, believer? You've trusted in Christ, been baptized, connected to his church. How are you living this morning? How are you walking? Are you walking in holiness? Are you pursuing Christ faithfully? If not, would you confess that to the Lord now as sin? Would you renew a commitment to Christ this morning? As you reflect on the incarnation to say, Lord, 
I'm going to intently, passionately follow you. In just a few moments, friends, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. Maybe you're here today and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ. As we sing, this would be a great opportunity for you to come forward. Myself and Pastor Travis will be down front. We'd be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. But friends, you can also turn to a neighbor that is seated beside you. There are plenty of people in this room who would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Please don't leave this morning without asking someone if you have questions. Secondly, maybe you would just like for one of us to pray for you. To pray that indeed the truths of this text might resonate in your life, that you might grow and increase in faithfulness. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed it upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with him. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now, we ask that our responses might be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.